All right, hopefully everybody has Bibles now open to Matthew chapter 11. We'll read and we'll pray and then we'll see what God has for us this morning. Matthew 11 verse 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into wil- to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft garments, soft clothing, excuse me, are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, He is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 16, but to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, just present ourselves to you this morning, we just sit here in your presence, in the presence of one another, uh, just, Lord, surrendering ourselves to your will, recognizing, Lord, we are not sufficient for the things you've called us to. We are uh, daily in touch with our failures and our weaknesses. Father, I pray that in these passages we would uh, find comfort, find challenge. We would hear your voice, the still small voice, speaking to us, uh, changing our lives, helping us to celebrate uh, who we are in Christ and uh, forming our consciences, Lord, and, and uh, transforming uh, family and, and life and just everything about us, Lord. Just pray for you to speak and for those here to have ears to hear and listen. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Questions. Questions. Uh, I like questions. Uh, God likes questions. If you read the Bible 
uh, attentively, you will find that God asks a lot of questions. And those of you that know me know I started keeping a list in my Bible of questions that God asks people. Adam, where are you? Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? And, and on and on, there are more questions that, that God asks that Jesus. I like questions. Questions make us think. Kids, if you have kids, they like questions, don't they? The number one question, why? And then you answer that question to the best of your ability, and then they say, well, why? And on and on, the whys go. And they can frustrate us with their questions, and they can ask questions that are hard to answer. There's, I found this list of questions. Why is it that people say they slept like a baby when babies wake up every two hours? How is it that we put a man on the moon before we figured out it would be a good idea to put wheels on luggage? Why is it that children can't read a Bible in school, but they can in prison? How can you tell when your pen runs out of invisible ink? How does the guy who drives the snowplow get to work in the morning? If, if FedEx and UPS merge, would they call it fed up? <laughs> if a chronic liar tells you he's a chronic liar, do you believe him? A couple more here. Uh, why doesn't Tarzan have a beard? There's a great question. I, I read I was like, yeah, why not? Why doesn't glue stick to the inside of the bottle? I don't know. Final one, why is, it call, why, why is it called after dark when it's really after light? Hmm. Good questions, huh? Some funny, some humorous, some real. Uh, I know you guys have questions. And, and maybe you've been one that have said, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have questions for God. Maybe those questions would be theological. Why did, why did you allow evil? Maybe your questions would be, you know, are, are there, is there life on other planets? You know, uh, that's Helga's question. Is there life on other, is there, are there aliens? Uh, we have these questions. Maybe they're theological, but maybe they're personal. God, why did you let this happen in my life? Why did I grow up that way? Why did I grow up in that kind of situation? And we can have many, many questions. And I was reading this morning just in Isaiah 55, 8 to 9, because some of, the, some of the times what we ask, the questions we ask of God are why. That's what we want to know. We know what, but we want to know why. Why, God? Why did this happen this way? Why did it go down this way? It didn't work out like I expected to. Why? And that is a very hard question. People ask me, Pastor, why? I, I don't know. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 is my answer. My thoughts are not your thoughts, God says, nor are your ways, my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher or loftier than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's thoughts are loftier than our thoughts. You know, it's just like trying to explain those questions to your toddler about the universe. You know, why is the sky blue? Well, even if I could explain it, I don't know that you could understand it where you are now. And so if that's a true level, if we have children down here of, of little understanding, then we have us adults who, of course, has, we've had biology class and more understanding. But then here we are, and then here's God, whose thoughts are even above our thoughts. And, and he says that the word of God 
originates in heaven and it comes down like rain. And just as rain originates above and comes down to the earth and it waters the earth and brings forth the grass and and the vegetables and all those goodies, the same way the word of God comes down from heaven and it, it does not return void, Isaiah says. It accomplishes what it was sent forth to do. We may not understand how the rain and the sunlight work together to produce those vegetables, but we know it's true that they do. And so God's thoughts, they're higher than I thought. So when we ask questions, sometimes um, we may not understand the answers. And we get to this chapter 11, and we hear a great man of God. I mean, Jesus calls, he says, of all the men born of women, he's the greatest. And he's asking a question. And so a couple of things to think about as we go through here in chapter 11. Number one, recognize questions are a normal and necessary part of our walk with God. Because we live in a culture that sort of has become condemning of questions. It's just, here's the answer, just believe it. And in church, we're extremely guilty of that with the kids, with ourselves, with Bible studies. Hey, don't ask questions. Here's the pat answer, just believe it. I like it when people question, because when you question, you find answers, and there are answers. You may not understand them, but they're there. So number one, questions are a normal part of our walk with God. Number two, God does not condemn you for asking questions. God does not condemn John the Baptist for his question, nor does God condemn you for asking a genuine, honest question that's birthed in the heart of a struggle in a circumstance. And number three, asking questions also does not devalue you in the eyes of God. God doesn't somehow look down on you because you question, even though the church might or the school might. You know how you get in those places and it's like, this is just the way it is, don't ask. And see, that's me. I'm like this little rebellious spirit guy. I've got this kind of thing in me that likes to challenge and likes to question and so that's me. So I appreciate that about God, that, he, that he's not going to devalue who I am and his, his love for me just because I question things. And the fact that I do question things is what continues to lead me back to the truth. And we'll see that from John. But one thing, when you do ask questions, and, and you will, and you do, important thing, you have to be ready for the answer. Sometimes we ask questions and we already have the answer in our mind that we want to hear. But you have to be ready for the the answer that God gives. So, chapter 11, verse 1. It came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples. Uh, What had he been commanding them about? They were being sent out. The disciples were becoming apostles. They were now going to carry the message of the kingdom to the Jewish cities. They were going to experience persecution. They were going to experienced difficulty. They weren't going to take anything with them. They were going to rely on God and being messengers of God to provide for their needs. So he instructed them on, and here's how you're going to do it. And then he sends them off. And then he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. So interesting to me, just a quick observation. Jesus didn't train up his his disciples or his apostles and then go sit on a lounge chair by the Sea of Galilee and count fish or something like that. I mean, 
He did not, see, we have that idea that we're going to retire. You know, we're going to we'll pass on the, the work of the church to the younger generation, the next generation, so we can just sit back on the golf course and retire. Once the other folks carry the ball, we pass the torch, and then we'll let them handle it, and we just wipe our hands of it. Well, that's not Jesus' model. He trains up disciples, but then he continues to engage in the work he was called to do as well. And it's the same model for us. I hope that people are being discipled. I hope that we are passing the torch and passing the ball to the next generation to do the work. But then we don't just sit back and watch. We continue to engage in it as well, just as Jesus did. So he departs, and he continues teaching in the cities around where they had been. They're sent out. He continues to bless the area where they were. Verse 2. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ... He sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? There's the question. That's what we're focusing on. We haven't heard much from John the Baptist in a while, at least not in Matthew's gospel. He had prepared the way, you know, John was this fiery preacher. By the way, he says, are you the coming one? It's a very specific, there's a definite article there. Are you the coming one? Uh, certainly references in the Old Testament to this one who was coming, to one who was to come. But immediately in John's message, what was John's message to, to people? He said, I baptize you with water, but what? There is one coming who is mightier than me. I'm not even, I'm not even worth t- untying his shoes, you know. Uh, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So there's a, a, a message sort of, of of judgment in there, too. That this, this one that's coming is going to finally judge the wicked. And so now we see John in prison. He's in a prison that's sort of to the east of the Dead Sea. Can you imagine his time to think? Maybe some of you have been in jail, been in prison. And you know how your mind can sort of run away with you when you get isolated from a community of faith, when you get isolated in areas, and your mind can just start to go and go. And go. My mind goes anyway, but I can imagine being left to myself to think that amount of time. Some say he's been in about 10 months in prison. He went in really uh, very soon after uh, Jesus was baptized and began his ministry. It wasn't long after that that John was put into prison. Do you know why John was put into prison? Some of you do. Uh, he confronted a public official about their sin, about the sin of adultery. Silly man. <laughs> he confronted a public. They didn't like to hear it. And so they put him in prison. And so that's where he's been. Not because he did something wrong in terms of, uh, you know, breaking a law or something. But because he stood on, on calling people to repentance. Even public leaders. There's a lesson there too, isn't there? Even public leaders, especially public leaders, need to be called to repentance from sin. And so that's what John had the guts to do. That's what John had. Boy, I appreciate him so much. This fiery preacher, it it lands him in prison. And while he's in prison, the rumor mill is churning, right? Jesus is ministering, and we've been watching what what is going on. Paralytic people being uh, walking again, the lame walking. Uh, People being that couldn't speak, now being able to speak. Demons being cast out. And, and ministering to the poor, and ministering to the lepers, and all these things are happening. And John hears about it as he's in, in the prison. Now, 
And he begins to struggle. Now, a lot of people say, well, John, you know, this is a passage about John's doubt. And, and in a certain way it is, I think. But I think that part of what produces questions in our lives is faith. Because we believe, we question. It's because we, we know that we struggle. John had a trick. If you remember back to hearing about John's ministry, you remember his confidence. I mean, he had disciples with him, and here comes Jesus walking up, and John boldly says, behold, the Lamb of God. That's him who takes away the sin of the world. He doesn't say, well, I I think that's him. I'm not sure. Might be him. He was very confident. Matter of fact, then Jesus began, uh, the disciples began to baptize people into following Jesus and John the Baptist's disciples got all upset with that. I mean, he's baptizing more than us. They're just like us today. You know, more people go into that church than this church. And John said, man, don't worry about it. That's great. John the Baptist said, you know what? He must increase and I must decrease. You see, at that time, it was before John was in prison. And at that time, he had this great confidence in who Jesus was and what his ministry was. My ministry, John the Baptist would say, was just simply to point to Jesus and then to get out of the way. Well, guess where John is now? He's out of the way. And he's struggling with it. It, it, Haven't you found that, like, in our own lives, we can have all this great confidence about our trust in God. Oh, yes, if I went through what you're going, I'd I'd get through that, no problem. You know, sometimes we can have this overconfidence in ourselves. Ah, Peter had it, didn't he? Ah, I would never deny you, Lord. And then what did he do? (laughs) He denied him. And there's this great self-confidence until we find ourselves in this situation. And all of a sudden, it's not as straightforward as it was when you were going through it, now that I'm going through it. When you go through something, I know exactly what you should do. I know exactly the confidence you should have in God in your situation. But then I go through it. And it's not always so straightforward, is it? So he asked this question, are are you the coming one or do we look for another? He didn't say, if you're not the coming one, then I guess God was wrong. So is he questioning, is he doubting the word of God? Is he doubting his own message? Say no. No, he's not doubting his, if we say, oh, John the Baptist had doubts, we have to quantify and qualify what those doubts were about. His doubts were not about what the Word of God said. His doubts were about how those things applied to his situation in real time. And folks, isn't that what we all struggle with? I know what the Word of God says. And and I know some of you in here. I don't know. Struggling to line things up from the Word of God. And see, our, our, our natural inclination is to say because we, it didn't work out how we thought it would or we expected it to, then God must be wrong. Then God must not be real. Isn't that the conclusion that many come to? Because it didn't work out, you know, remember, God's thoughts higher than our thoughts. God's working out something on a much greater plane than we exist on and can think on. And we look at the situation and say, well, it didn't work out how. Don't we want to tell God what to do? I mean, we want to tell, we want to advise God on how he should minister to us. If you really loved me, God, you'd release me from this prison of my marriage or this prison of work. If you really love me, God, if you really want to bless me, if you're really the one you say you are. 
then you ought to be setting me free from my paralysis or from my blindness. That's what John would be thinking, no doubt. Are you, are you, when is it I should be, you know, he knows what Jesus says in Luke 4. I came to set the captives free. And there John sits in prison and go, well, here I am. If there's going to be captive setting free happening, uh, you can start here anytime you want, Jesus. I'm ready. I'm ready to walk out the doors. Let's, let's, you know, let's usher in the kingdom in all of its judgment. Let me out of here. He didn't doubt what the word of God said. He didn't doubt his own message. He just, because he believed, he struggled with the application of it to his life. So Jesus answers him, verse 4, and says to these disciples who had come to him, he says, you go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, Lepers are cleansed and deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. It's interesting. And, you know, all these miracles, you know, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the gospel's being preached to the poor. It sort of doesn't fit, right? It's not this, it just seems like a very normal thing. But to them, it, it may not have been. He says, go tell the things, tell John the things you, you see and the things which you here. These were already things John knew, right? I mean, why does John send the question in the first place? Because he had heard about the works that were happening with Jesus. So he knew these things were happening. And for some, I just want, sometimes, don't we just want a straight answer from Jesus? I mean, yes, John, I am the one. Okay, we can end it there, you know, no question. Okay, I'm with you. But that's not what Jesus does, because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, his ways higher than our ways. He just doesn't come out and say, yes. But what does he do? He points him back to the indisputable evidence. You can't argue. When a leper gets cleansed, you can't say, no, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. He's either cleansed or he's not. You know, when a dead person is raised from the dead, he either is or he isn't. You can't debate that. So he points John back just like he points you back in your time of questioning, in your time of struggle, in your tri- time when you're trying to figure out what in the world is God doing with my life, you know, we look back on it, and it's a lot easier to see. But while we're in it, while we're in the prison, it's tough. And he, and he points John back to what John already knows is indisputable, to the evidence. John, you already know these things, and I, know, I think John knows the answer to his own question. I think John knows that Jesus is the one. I think he's just struggling with a lack of confidence right now. Has that ever been you? You ever, like, you know God is God and you know God exists and you know Jesus is who he is and you're not going anywhere, you know, you're not leaving the faith. But boy, it'd be nice to have some, something else I could, you know, hang my hat on. Something that I could really sink my teeth into. Some kind of reassurance. Have you ever looked for reassurance about at a time in your life? Well, that's what John, looking for some reassurance. And so Jesus says, go back to the things you know. Go back to the things that are sure. And folks, we have seen changed lives. I've never seen someone go, you know what? I just converted to atheism and boy, is my life great now. I've become so giving and so loving now because there is no God. You know, no God just makes me want to love people. 
but because there is a God and because he is alive. And we see things happen that, you know, I never would have considered certain things before I was saved. And afterwards, it's like, well, how did I miss it all these years? My eyes are open. And we tend to naturalize these things. Well, that's just, you know, Steve just matured some. That's, what I think, what my mom and dad would say. Finally, Steve just, you know, was growing up. But there's more to it than that, and you know it, and I know it. So he points John back. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Verse 7, so as they departed, these disciples, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John. Now, again, we weren't there, but it seems as if when these disciples came, there were, must have been other, a whole bunch of folks around, multitudes were around, and maybe some of them were hearing John's question from prison from the disciples and going, well, yeah, we got that question too. You know, we didn't have it until you asked it, but now, now we have it too. Maybe you've been in a Bible study like that. I never thought of that question, but now that you ask it, yeah, what is the answer to that? So maybe they're questioning whether or not John's ministry was valid. Because now he doubts. Look, I'll admit to you folks, as your pastor, I don't live a doubt-free life. There's not a day where I, I wonder, you know, what if we're wrong? What if, it, what if the folks that say there is no God are right? And we play with those thoughts in our mind. We're afraid to admit it. Daily, regularly, we wrestle. And so I'm telling you that, that yeah, I struggle and wrestle with the reality of doubts and understanding the world we live in and understanding, you know, why people are starving in Sudan or in Somalia. I wrestle with those questions too. I don't understand. But yet when I preach to you from the Word of God, I have no doubt that this is the word of God. I don't know what it means for you. But I know that this is a real word of God. And so John, as, as they begin to question, you know, John has this doubt, he has this question. It does not diminish his ministry one bit. Look what Jesus says. What did you go out the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? I mean, John's ministry was powerful, wasn't it? He was out there, not in the temple, not living the high life. But he was out in the wilderness, in the desert. And people were flocking to him for miles, coming from all over the place to hear this fiery preacher because of his confidence, because of his message of repentance. And that was attractive to a group. When you talk about God, do you talk about God as one that's like a reed shaking the wind? I mean, is that you? Are you like, the wind blows this way and oh, now I'm not sure. And then the wind blows this way. Oh, now I can't be certain. And we can be like that, just really not willing to stand straight for, for anything. But John was not like, he didn't get blown around by the wind like a weak, limp reed. He was not like that. He wasn't shaken. And they knew that. See, he's telling the, the multitudes what they already know. Did you go out to see uh, a man that was clothed in fine clothing? No, those who wear soft clothing are, are, clothing are in king's houses. No, he was a prophet. Not a king. He didn't, he didn't, wasn't into luxury and living the high life. He was serving the Lord in the wilderness. Not concerned with himself, but with the message he had to preach. And they knew that. They knew that. He had no other alternative uh, motive for what he was doing. And that's why they went to listen. That's why they went to listen. 
And so he says, finally, but what did you go out to see? What was John the Baptist? Did you go out to see a prophet? Yes, we did. We went out to hear a man that was speaking the word of God. I think that's why you guys come here. Not because you hear a man necessarily speaking the word of God, but you know this is the word of God. I remember when this fellowship started. I'll never forget this. In my, I mean, I still marvel that anybody comes here. Uh, I marveled eight years ago when we were at the old Palmyra School. I'll never forget it. We had, some of you in here remember that. We had a CD player, right? You remember that. We had a CD player and we just struggled to find music on a CD that was actually singable, you know, because you get these, music, these songs and there's these long guitar solos, you know, and this... And we would sit there kind of waiting for the guitar solo to end so we could start worshiping the Lord again. And it was just really hard to find music. And we didn't have a youth group in those days. And, and I'll never forget some of the first families. The Stewarts came real early on and the Hubachers. The first two families that I remember coming in those early days that we didn't know and I didn't pay to come. It wasn't, you know, my mom and dad come, you know, relatives come to see. But the, I, we didn't know them. And I remember thinking, you know, I know the other churches in the area. And you go to that church down there, there's great music down there. They've got great music. Children's program over there, fantastic children's program over there. And youth program over there, you can go there. And, you know, all these great things that the, like, why are you here? We're, we're in an old elementary school that smells like mold and mildew. And the nursery meets in a hallway. And we have curtains to, that we put up to try to keep the cold air out from the kids and I mean, it's like, why are you coming here? And I'll never forget, Alan Stewart said to me, because you're teaching the Word of God. That's why, you remember that, Alan? That's why, that's why I'm bringing my family here. And I think that's why these people were so attracted to John the Baptist. Because they knew he was a man speaking the Word of God. And he says, he says there are more, he's more than a prophet. For he is the one of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. More than a prophet for two reasons. Number one, he was a prophet that was prophesied about. His reality was predicted in the word of God. Not just Jesus's as the coming one, but the one who would point the way to the coming one was predicted. And the second reason he's more than a prophet is because if you think prophet means to speak before. Prophetes. It means to speak before. And it can mean to speak before people, to speak the word of God before people, or it can mean to speak before it happens, predictive prophecy. So a prophet would, you know, Isaiah prophesies, and then it happens, you know, 400 years later. Or, uh, the, we see these things that the prophets, they don't necessarily understand what they're saying because it hasn't happened yet. And so the prophets would talk about this one that was to come, this one that was to come. It's in the future. They were always pointing ahead. But what does John the Baptist get to say? Here he is. So he's not just a prophet in the sense that he's pointing forward to something that's going to happen in the future. He's more than a prophet in in the fact that he's getting to say the prophecy is being fulfilled right here, right now, in our presence. And John is the one that is preparing God's people to receive their God. His ministry wasn't just about Jesus. It was about people calling them to repentance. And that's why it says next, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Again, 
an awesome calling, an awesome ministry, an awesome man of God, a fiery preacher who was not afraid to tell it like it is. But look at the next part. We can believe that about John the Baptist, right? We can see, yeah, John, he was a great man. But, you know, me, what, what chance do I have of being a great man like John the Baptist? I mean, but look what it says next. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than even John the Baptist. The smallest, the most insignificant person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Now, how in the world is that possible? Remember, John's looking at, at Jesus and going, I know I announced the coming one. I know I'm, I, I told about this is the Lamb of God. But now I'm wondering if, if that's really true. I'm trying to sort this out. If you're really the coming one, then I'm thinking things would be a little different. But we get to look back. We do the same thing John the Baptist did. We get to point people to Jesus Christ. But with a lot more confidence. Because we point to him from the other side of the cross. From the other side of the resurrection. We know there's an empty grave. We know that 500 people saw him alive. And more. And so when we point people to Jesus Christ, we can do it with a lot more confidence. We can say, man, I don't know. I can't help you. But boy, let me take you to one that can. Let me take you to Jesus who can help you. So uh, he was least in the kingdom of heaven. We have greater advantage than John the Baptist did, don't we? We have greater resources at our disposal. We have greater opportunities in our ministries. And this is an interesting verse, verse 12, difficult verse. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. That's a weird verse, isn't it? I agree. Let's move on. (laughs) I wish I could tell you I know exactly what that verse means. I can give you a couple of choices. Uh, The difficulty with the verse is, is actually in the Greek language. And the translators have struggled to try to come to some agreement about exactly what's being said there. Uh, the verse, or the, excuse me, the word that's used for suffers violence in the actual uh, Greek language that it was written in is only used one other place, and that's in Luke's gospel in a similar passage that says this, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. Same word, translated two different ways pressing into it and you get the two different the whole argument hinges on whether it's passive or or uh, reflexive and you don't necessarily understand what that means but I'll I'll put it to you simply this way Um, Dennis can get hit with the ball or Dennis can hit himself with the ball getting hit with the ball is passive I didn't do anything I just got hit hitting himself is something we do to ourselves and that's the big question in, in the original language as to which one it is which one it is changes the meaning so, but both are true. Here's the two options. Number one, since John the Baptist, there's a time frame. From the time of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of, of heaven suffers violence. There are violent people like Herod, like the Pharisees, that are trying to do their best to uh, prohibit and inhibit the kingdom of God from coming into fruition through Jesus Christ. They're trying to get in the way. And that's one way people look at it. They're... they're, they're struggling against the kingdom. So the kingdom is sort of passive in that, and they're against it. The other way to look at it is more like this pressing in idea in that, hey, 
from the time of John the Baptist, when he began to preach repentance and, and Jesus came on the scene, and people are flocking to John, hearing his message. People are flocking to Jesus. He's surrounded by multitudes. At one time, uh, they try to make him king. Force, they try to force him to be the king that they're looking for. And so either one of those could be true. I know this, that we live in a day where certainly the kingdom of heaven is open for people to press into. And there are no excuses to say why we couldn't. Well, we didn't understand the message or none of, none of that. It is wide open for people that, that are eager. And literally, there's another way you can, you can put this. The word um, suffers violence can be translated to rush into or to seek with eagerness or haste. And I tend to lean that way personally. I, you know, I don't know. But I think that, that that's who the kingdom of God is for. People that have an eagerness and want to desire to rush into it. Rather than like Lot's wife who was just sort of hesitant, you know, when she saw Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed, she looked back. Sort of, well, sort of caught between the two. Man, turn full face away from the past and run headlong into the future, into the kingdom. All right, dealt with that. You'll figure that one out. You'll find a pastor that knows all the mysteries and he can tell you. Verse 13, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. So they knew Malachi chapter 4. Don't look it up now. You can look it up later. Just make a note there in your Bible. Malachi chapter 4, there was a prediction about Elijah coming. And Jesus says, John is Elijah who is to come. He's not Elijah. He didn't get transformed into Elijah, you know, reincarnation or anything like that. He is just has the same ministry as Elijah. They wore the same kind of clothes. You know, they wore the camel's hair and had the mantle. And, and so there's a similarity between Elijah and John. Elijah had a ministry where he challenged people to turn back to God. On Mount Carmel, he said, how long, you Israelites, will you vacillate between two opinions? How long will you go back and forth? If God is God, then serve him. If Baal, if this, are these idols are God, then serve them. Just make a choice. He's calling for people to get off the fence. And the same call is still necessary today. Some of you in here may be sitting on the fence. I want a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this. I want to make sure I got all my bases covered. And in choosing everything, you choose nothing. Do you, do you understand that? In trying to be, uh, cover all your bases, you actually cover none of them. Because in being true to any religion or any faith, you by, uh, it necessitates that you are untrue to, the, uh, to others. If you say, I'm a Buddhist, then you can't also be a Muslim because they're different. So it necessitates if you, if you but we, so when you try to do all of them, you will not do any of them fully and completely. And that was Elijah's ministry. How long, folks, how long will you vacillate? How long will you sit on the fence and try to hedge your bets and figure, well, I'll cover all my bases. Look, just put all your eggs in the basket and move on. Because you won't be able to move on with the Lord until you finally put all your eggs in the basket. And that was with Elijah. That's John the Baptist's ministry. Right after a great victory in Elijah's life, his life was threatened by Jezebel and Ahab. And right after a great victory, all this huge um, revival around John the Baptist, his life is threatened. He ends up dying in, in prison. Just for those of you that don't know, he gets his head cut off in prison. 
That's how it ends for him. But he knew. He knew his ministry was supposed to decrease. And, and Jesus was supposed to increase. And so that's what, that's what was happening for John. He was just being removed out of the way, uh, even to death, so that, so that all the focus could be on Jesus. I mean, would you be willing to get out of the way in, in someone's life so that Jesus could get the focus? Maybe you need to decrease a little bit. Wives, maybe if you decrease a little bit, your husbands can hear from the Lord. Husbands, same thing. Maybe if you stop nagging and stop, do, maybe your wives will hear from the Lord. Parents, children, same thing. Sometimes we need to just decrease a little bit and let people be right there with the Lord. Verse 15, he who has hear, ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, not everybody has ears to hear. They didn't have ears to hear. Let's finish this up quickly, and then we'll finally find out what Adrian's all about. Some of you haven't heard a word I've been saying. You're still pondering. Verse 16. So he who has ears to hear, he who is ready to just hear the truth, let him hear. But this was not a generation as the generation we live in that is not often ready to hear. What shall I liken this generation to? Jesus says about that generation that is listening. And I wonder, what are we liken this generation to that we're in? He says about them, they're like children sitting in the marketplaces in, in the, on the downtown mall and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned and you did not lament. So he gives, uh, by way of explanation, this little parable about children trying to engage their playmates in play. They're like these children that have their companions and we're trying to, you know how kids love to play and they'll try to find someone to play with. Usually it's you or, you know, mom or dad or big brother, big sister. They're always trying to engage you in play with them. They want company. And so it's like these children, they, they see kids across the, the marketplace. They say, ooh, let's play with them. So they think, ooh, I bet they'd like to dance. So we'll play the flute and then they'll, that'll engage them. They'll dance and then all of a sudden we'll be, we'll be playing together. Well, they play the flute. And guess what? The kids didn't dance. So, oh, we, we, maybe they're not in the mood to dance. So let's try. It must be the opposite. Let's mourn and see if they lament. And they mourned, and, well, the kids still didn't engage. They still didn't, they didn't lament. So there was nothing they could do would engage them in this relationship. And you've had kids like that. No matter, there's, there's some days when the kids are just grumpy, and they're just in a mood. They're sour. And no matter what you do, to try to bring them back, they just won't be brought back. I mean, you give them the sippy cup and it flies across the room. And you give them the toy and, and it hits the ground. And they just want to cry. They just don't want to hear it, right? They just, they're just not in the mood. And that's what Jesus is likening his generation to. No matter what you do, no matter what God did, it wouldn't have mattered. They wouldn't have received the message. And there are some like that probably in this room. That you say, well, I'd go to church, but it's hypocrites there. Well, if there were no hypocrites, you'd find some other reason. I'd believe in God, but there's always going to be a but. Because you're like children in the marketplace. No matter what God does, you could see a miracle. And you'd go, well, that was just medicine. It was just this. It was just that. You'd explain it away. Because, look, he says, John came. And when John came, he wasn't eating or drinking. John was an ascetic, lived an ascetic lifestyle. He didn't drink wine. He didn't. He was fasting. He was that kind of guy. Certainly, these, they'll accept John's message. And they said, ah, he's got a demon, crazy guy out there in the wilderness. They found something to fault him for. 
And then God says, well, okay, well, if you reject him, let me send my son and he'll live a different kind of a lifestyle. He actually ate with tax collectors and sinners and he he uh, enjoyed being in the presence of people and he didn't deny himself those things in that way. Don't just because he's called a wine bibber doesn't mean he got drunk all the time. We know that that was the reputation. That was the the knock they had against him because he probably ate with people that did. Tax collectors and sinners. So they accuse, oh, he's a wine bibber. They write him off too. But wisdom is justified by her children. They always managed to justify what they believed. And they, would, they didn't have ears to hear, and so they wouldn't accept the message from God. Interesting passage, isn't it? I think, uh, is, did we find Adrian finally? Yes? Oh, Adrian is here. Okay, why don't you guys make your way up here just as we close? Because I want to challenge you guys in, in this way. As we read these words, you know, we, we've learned and we use the wording in Sunday school with kids. Well, this is a story about. And kids know what to think when they hear story. I know. Don't look over there for a second. Hey, everybody back up here. Come on. Just lasso you back in here. I know. It's like, just, huh? Yes, yes. Um, we use the word story when we talk about the Bible. And we know story means storybook, means a cute little vignette that really isn't true, but it's kind of nice. And we use those terms. But look, John the Baptist was a real man, just like me, just like you. And he went through the, the same types of things that you and I go through. And as we read the Word of God, you, you mustn't forget that. He put on his camel's hair one leg at a time or whatever. <laughs> Because you may not be in that place today of struggle, of question, but you might be tomorrow. And you might have those that come into your life and they condemn you for your questions. They condemn you for what you're going through. They condemn you because you're struggling to understand Christ in your situation. And you know what? You can, you can turn back to John the Baptist and say, you know, I'm in good company. I'm in good company when I question. I'm in good company when I struggle. You know what? Please struggle please be like jacob by the river just wrestling with god and just hanging on for the blessing have you ever felt that way it's like i'm just hanging on for the blessing i don't understand what, what's going on but i'm just i'm wrestling with god and I, I don't know what to expect next and i don't know where this is all leading but i am going to hang on for the blessing amen amen let's pray and um we'll have the ladies come up father I know this has probably touched a lot of different issues across the board today, both from folks that have um, been afraid to voice their questions, uh, folks that have had serious questions about what they're going through. And Lord, also, I'm sure there are those in, this, in the room this morning with, uh, that have ears but are not willing to hear. And Lord, I know that we can't fix that. So we pray. Lord, for that hard heart, for that wall that's been up because of questions, because of a lack of understanding, because you haven't been to them what they expected you to be. I pray that they would accept you as you are and know that your love is not diminished, but that truly your ways are higher and that you are working out something in this light affliction that is for a far 
more eternal weight of glory. Father, we thank you that we don't understand you. That you are above us and that you are a, a father that loves us. And I pray that this message truly would not return void, but would produce what you sent it forth to do. In Jesus' name, amen.